Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. Today on the show, I'll introduce you to a buddy of mine, Tank Spencer. I think he's going to make you laugh, so stand by. First, I want to tell you about the great people at American Pride Roasters Coffee. I just love Dave and his crew, where the coffee is their passion, and the taste of their blends is so good. One thing APR loves is America and the people who have made it so great. All of their coffees are named after awesome individuals. And some of my favorites include the Calvin Coolidge blend and the George Washington Carver blend with its hint of peanut butter. So good. (laughs) Please get over to aprcoffee.com and read about all of the different varieties and pick one out for yourself. Like the original APR blend, the George Washington. This is a brew that is perfect for literally any occasion. You can call it the indispensable coffee. It's so smooth. At aprcoffee.com, you'll want to use offer code ATM at checkout and get 10% off your order of the finest coffees you'll ever taste. aprcoffee.com, offer code ATM. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. On this edition of At The Mic, I sat down with Tank Spencer. Tank has taken his enthusiasm and knowledge of sports and turned it into a successful career. We talked about how he got that nickname, Tank. We discussed his role in a Disney movie. I learned a couple of facts about him that left me floored. I'm serious. I could not believe what he was telling me. And we reminisced about a good friend of ours who we lost way too soon. Without further delay, here's my good friend, Tank Spencer, on At The Mic. My goodness, Tank Spencer, how long have we known each other? It's been 16 years now? Yeah, I was thinking thinking 17 years maybe. Yeah, we worked together at WSC Radio in Charleston, South Carolina, the greatest city on earth. I mean, you live in a pretty cool town. It's a town you grew up in. Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, we're the hottest place to be if you're, you know, old or a hippie. I was about to say hippie. I got a hippie vibe there. Carrie and I got married back in 1998, and we moved out of Lincoln, Nebraska one week later. We didn't have time to go on a honeymoon. Uh, Obviously, we were poor, still poor, but we we moved to Atlanta, and I had always wanted to go to Asheville, see Biltmore Estate, And just, I enjoy the mountains, and she was game. And so we went up there, and we spent, I don't know, four or five days, and it was socked in foggy the entire time. I never saw a mountain peak, but I certainly saw hippies everywhere. Oh, they are everywhere. It is, you know, you're inundated with all of it. And at the time you visited in the late 90s, you know, that's when it was really starting to get weird. Like growing okay. growing up in Asheville was was weird because, you know, it was just kind of like, I don't want to say it was a podunk little town, but I mean, it kind of had that feel. I mean, we, our, our downtown area was horrible. Nobody went downtown. Yeah, all, all the businesses downtown were boarded up. Nobody went downtown. It was just completely unsafe, just sketchy as hell. And then about the late 90s, the economy started to recover and businesses started opening up and all the liberals started moving in. (laughs) But it became, you know, this mecca for the the freaks. It was show your freak side. The the year that I moved, uh, I graduated high school in the year 2000. 
and I moved down to Charleston and was going to college down there for radio and television broadcasting. And like uh, four weeks after I moved down there, Rolling Stone came out with an article of America's freakiest city. And it was all about oh. Asheville, North Carolina and how it was. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was the you know, it's it's the it was like the freak Mecca. You know, you come out and just let your freak flag fly. And we got hippies and we've got uh, just I'm a, surprised it wasn't Austin, Texas. Well, see, that's we've been battling with Austin, Texas for a long time. <laughs> we keep going back and forth of, you know, oh, we need to be more like Austin. Uh, I'm going to disagree oh, for really? the square, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we've we, you know, it's it's like they're almost like sister cities now. Asheville yeah. and Austin. It's Asheville, Austin, San Francisco and Portland, Oregon. OK, I got I got a I got a uh, I've got an honorable mention for you. OK. Flies under the radar. We went there a few years ago, and it's Taos, New Mexico. Taos, New Taos, Mexico. New Mexico. Okay. Yeah, it is in the uh, far north reaches of the state. It's a nice area. I just, I think it's beautiful. I love New Mexico. Like I said earlier, I love mountains. And so I'd always wanted to go there, and there aren't many baths per capita taken in that town, that's for sure. But it's 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 an experience. I'll say that. Yeah, uh, so, Asheville has the uh, the the lingering aura of uh, patchouli <laughs> everywhere. It's just it's a, dirt it's and a, feet a, and incense. That's what it smells like around town. But the mountains are beautiful, so, and the beer's great. Yes. Okay. Well, you grew up there. You're back there now. Do you enjoy it more now or when you were a kid? I think I enjoy it more now than when I was a kid just because I can I can participate in society. You know, I mean, like when I was a kid growing <laughs> up, I, you know, my parents took me everywhere. And like even when I was in high school, I was beholden to, you know, wherever my friends wanted to go and all of that. And I didn't have the the freedom of movement. I didn't get I, here's a little secret about me. I didn't get my driver's license till I was like 19 years old. Just because I never needed to, and I never had the want to drive anywhere. All my friends had cars, so what was the purpose? Uh, and but now you know. Okay, so so you bummed rides off of everybody. Exactly. You're exactly. You're a freeloader. Yeah. Okay. I've always been a freeloader. <laughs> I'm one of the finest in the world at that, actually. You do. It's an art for you. <laughs> I'll say. Yes. <laughs> so how did you end up getting out of there? And getting to Charleston. Um, well, it was uh, my sister lived in Charleston at the time, and she okay. graduated from here, uh, graduated high school, went to culinary school at Asheville Buncombe Technical Community College, which was, you know, uh, they were known for their culinary program. And she graduated from there and then went to Johnson of Wales down in Charleston. Uh, and when she got done with that job, she stayed. And it was coming time for high school graduation, and I already made a plan for graduation. I was going to go down to Daytona with a buddy of mine who was going to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical College, and uh, I was going to do the same thing. I was going to go to tech school down there, take radio and television broadcasting, and you know, it was going to be out on my own kind of thing. And about two weeks before graduation... My buddy calls me and says, hey, man, I got some bad news. I'm out of money and I got to move home. And so my whole plan for, you know, life after high school 
got it was a free load off right. of him. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. And, and now so that, I freeloaded off of my sister. Right. My sister, <laughs> when I got the phone call, my sister was there and I was all bummed out. We're sitting down at the dining room table and she looks at me and she says, well, you know, you could just move to Charleston and move in with me. And they have a radio TV broadcasting program at Trident Technical College. And I went, uh-huh, yeah. Oh, and my, my mom and I both just kind of did like a record scratch take and looked at each other like, what did she just say? Did she say live with her? Because we didn't think it was going to work. It, it sounded like the most ridiculous idea because, you know, like all siblings, we had that relationship where you can't be in the same room together for more than an hour or so before you're fighting yeah, about that's stuff. What I wanted to ask you, how close are y'all in age? Uh, she's eight years older than I am. She was always oh she was always kind of like my mom. Growing up, uh-huh. you know, because by the time by the time I came around, she's eight years old. And by the time I'm a toddler, she's 12 years yeah. old. And so mom and dad can, you know, let their freak flag fly. They love Asheville, by the way. <laughs> uh, oh, no. <laughs> and they could, you know, they could go out to all the bars and the music uh, concerts and stuff. They were concert hounds. They went everywhere to see music on the weekends. So on the weekends, uh-huh. it was like just me and Jennifer. And Jennifer was like my second mom. Did she charge you rent down in Charleston? She did. She did. She was. Oh my a, goodness. She, she was a young. Oh look. She was a young Republican, and she treated me like you know I was I was her tenant, and she was the landlord. You know, we split all the bills well, together. We had all of that. Finally, so, yeah. Finally, someone in your life um, made you pay up for all of your um, freeloading. Exactly. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's where I got my uh, my first uh, conservative leaning. Uh, you know, training yeah. was with my sister right. because my parents damn sure didn't have it. <laughs> I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. So, all right. So you moved to Charleston and before we, before we get into that part of your life, mm-hmm. let me just put the brakes on for a second. You grew up in Asheville and she, Jennifer is your only sister, your only sibling. Yes. You kind of explained your childhood where she was almost like a second mom to you. Mm-hmm. What is your earliest memory? And... Does it have anything to do with your sister? My earliest memory has nothing to do with my sister. Um, okay. The uh, I think my earliest memory of my sister is we had a big fight when I was about five or six years old. And mm-hmm. she was, we were at home, mom worked nights. She was a nurse and worked the graveyard shift. So she would come home and sleep during the day. And then it was up to Jennifer to keep me in line. While mom was sleeping (laughs) and we got into a fight over something watching television and she went downstairs to do the laundry and I was mad that she wouldn't let me watch whatever it was. It was probably Thundercats or something. And I I grabbed the remote control from the living room, followed her all the way down the hallway to the basement stairs where she was going to do the laundry. She got to the bottom of the stairs and I chucked that remote and hit her straight in the forehead. Uh, (laughs) it's one of the stories that I will never forget because of the impending fallout of that. Obviously it ended up with her chasing me around the house and yeah, I would gotten a lot of trouble for that. My earliest memory of my life though, is, um, I was sitting in the back seat of my uncle or it was an uncle. I called him uncle, but he was actually a cousin of my mom and he lived with us for a while. And I, I, my earliest memory is sitting in his car and he forgot to put it in park 
and it started to roll oh. down the hill from our house. And so that's my earliest memory is me sitting in the car and uh, Cousin Wayne just running to try to catch the car as I'm rolling backwards. <laughs> Was he successful? I mean, he was. Did it run into anything? He was. Okay, it didn't cool. go that far. We and where we lived, there was like a big field behind our house, and so thankfully okay. there were no structures or anything in the way. Right. I had just rolled into the field a little ways before he was able to catch us. But that was that's my okay. earliest memory. So I met you circa 2004, Charleston, South Carolina, WSC Radio. Uh, what is it? Uh, News Radio. 94.3 WSC. Wow, look, you never forget, right? Yeah, don't forget so, the FM. Remember remember all those no, classes we had. We oh have to remember the FM goodness. part. Thank you. You've <laughs> got to tell everyone you're on FM. And well, don't say I the don't point. Know if they're, right, and don't say the point. Yeah. 94.3 oh WSC FM. That took forever. That took like three months to learn. Seriously, and I, I gathered that the audience knew they were listening to an FM station since that's where their dial had to land in right. order to hear us, but I digress. Right. So, okay, let's uh, let's talk about Charleston. You were the sports director when I met you, mm-hmm. if, if memory serves. This was back, boys and girls, when radio stations had big staffs <laughs> and everybody had a specialty. Oh, uh, those many years so ta- ago. Lo, many years ago. So, Tank, and by the way, let's address this for a second. People might be listening going, Tank, what is, what is, I mean, were you born with the name Tank? I, I know there's a Robert in there. What is it? It's Robert Edward Spencer, yes, correct? Yes, yes. So when did you get the nickname Tank? And my goodness, it's, it is stuck. I would venture to guess, and I'm probably wrong, but right down to your checks. Uh, <laughs> I, I bet, I bet it says Tank Spencer on your check. It does it? not. I never was allowed okay. <laughs> to officially change my name or else okay. my grandfather would see I'm the third. So there's, you know, Robert Edward, the junior, uh, senior, junior, and I'm the uh-huh. third. And so, so how many people call you Robert? No one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the only time in my life I've ever been referred to as Robert was when I had moved to Charleston. I got a job at Best yeah. Buy while I was in college and <laughs> they refused. I did the interview and on my application, I put Robert Spencer and I told them, you know, everybody calls me Tank. Well, I had like three guys who were all my bosses who refused to call me Tank because they thought I was messing with them. They thought I was <laughs> just making it up. And so they refused to call me anything but Robert. And it took me a year of working there to get them to finally call me Tank. But Tank dates all the way back to Pee Wee football. My first year Ah. in Pee Wee football, I was eight years old. Um, So for 30 years now, I've been Tank Spencer. Um, But, you know, I showed up and I just barely made the weight limit for Pee Wee football. And I was the I was the biggest kid on the team <laughs> by far, and I was the slowest kid on the team. And the coach saw us running laps like first day of practice. His name was Rick Reinhardt, <laughs> one of the hardest nose coaches I ever played for, which is weird because he was coaching eight year old children. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, think about like Bud Kilmer, but with eight year olds. Yeah, you see where I'm going uh, with that. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> those okay. were the good old days of uh, of Asheville, uh-huh. North Carolina. But yeah, he he came out. He said, "I am no longer going to call you because I went by Robbie when I was a kid. Uh, my grandfather was Bob. My dad was Bob, and I didn't want to be a Bob. And so they settled on Robbie. 
And he said, I'm not calling you Robbie. He's, uh, you, are, you are the slowest kid on this team, but you are also uh, the biggest kid, and you hit the hardest. So I'm going to start calling you awesome. Tank. And from that day forward, it stuck. Like, all my football buddies <laughs> kept calling me Tank, and I was like, dang, this is cool. And then I finally got my teachers into it. And so I've been called Tank routinely for 30 years now. That is great. That is great. Now, does Andy, your wife, yeah. does she call you Tank? She does. Man. She does, but she also Boy, that, she also calls me Robbie sometimes, and I'll be honest with you, it makes me feel a little weird. We, we, <laughs> what to hear Robbie? Yeah, after you know, because everybody <laughs> calls me Tank, and right, when right. I hear somebody call me Robbie, I go, "Okay, you are very close to me." <laughs> <laughs> and if and if you hear Robert, then you don't know me at all. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, did you meet Andy? Your wife, mm-hmm. where did, not in Charleston, right? I mean, no. where did you meet her? No, well, the the weird thing about our relationship is that we we grew up together, kind of. Not really. I mean, huh. she's from Asheville, and she was my best friend's sister's best friend. Hold on, I got to think about this for a second. So you had a best friend, yeah, and a sister of that best friend, her best friend was Andy. Yes. Got it. Okay. I and so our diagram it. Right. Our our paths crossed some when we were younger. And so she has that route. Like if you did she knew me before I was tank. And so I give her the pass of being able to call me Robbie. Uh, wow. But <laughs> but no, we wow. uh we didn't meet until two thousand five. Um I had, you know, I was living in Memphis, Tennessee at the time, and I had been hearing for probably six months from my friend Scott and his sister Trisha that I have to meet this Andy girl. We think you'll really like her. We'd love to be able to hook you guys up. And I came home for vacation. It was my birthday weekend. Uh, You're involved in this story, too, because this was the weekend of the fantasy draft of 2005. And my idea was it's my birthday weekend. I got the fantasy draft at the end of the week. So I'll take the week off. I'll go back home. I'll hang out for a couple of days. I'll go down to Charleston. I'll hang out for a couple of days there. I'll swing through Atlanta and go to the draft. And then I'll swing back to Memphis when I'm done. Uh, well, it turns out I came home. I was here for a day. My birthday was the next day. Scott had made it a point to work with his sister behind the scenes to get Andy to come hang out with us on my birthday. And when, and when I saw her, I knew, like I knew that I wanted to have some kind of a relationship with this person. She was just beautiful. And she struck me. She had one of, this is going to sound really weird. One of my favorite (laughs) all time fictional characters from movies is the cowardly lion from wizard. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, the day of my birthday, Andy was in a wedding, and she showed up at the house later that day, and her hair was done in a manner like the like the Cowardly Lion after he went to Oz. Remember the big, long curls that he had after they <laughs> did him up in Oz? She okay. had that look about her, and I don't know why I, why I remember that huh. that way, but that's what her hair kind of looked like, and I was just like, yep, yeah, this is... 
This is something. So did you break the ice by saying you remind me of a dude dressed like a wild animal <laughs> who is afraid of everything? You know, I thought. And did that break the ice? I thought at the time that might be a weird way to go about it. Uh, if I was Maybe going not the to, best path. Right. If I was going to woo said lass, uh, <laughs> you know, comparing her to Burt Lar is not really going to be the thing that gets her. Uh. Now, hang on a second. Let's stop for just a moment and let's talk about, uh, yeah, you met your your wife to be and all that stuff. I mean, that's a great story, Tank, right. but I'm kind of hung up on the uh, fantasy football draft okay. because I'm the commissioner right. of the league you're referring to. Was that when you had the number one pick and you were running late driving to Ben's house in Atlanta no. and we th- we threatened to uh, take away your pick or, or how did that? Uh, no, that was no. that was a couple of years afterward. Okay. I can't keep. Yeah. If you'll remember, we were going to be on time for the draft, but we got into a car accident on the way to Ben's house. Oh, my bad. Sure. Okay. <laughs> You've got excuses for everything. You got right. it. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 totally cool. Uh, who did you end up drafting that year uh, when you were? Uh, I believe that was held the number one pick. I believe that was Reggie Bush. Oh, yeah, worked that out. Worked out. Worked out well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. So, and speaking of working out well, you eventually did. Mary, Andy, yes, who is from Asheville, so that's where you guys live. Mm-hmm. In your and, and there's such a a charm to that. I mean, that, that's got to be kind of cool to raise your boys. You have two twin boys; mm-hmm. they're the coolest kids in the world. They're both nine years old now, right? That's insane. It's insane to what think of how old I'm world? getting. Yeah, well, welcome. So that that's got to be kind of fun to kind of introduce them to the same places. That you grew up, right? Or are those places all bulldozed and gone and I just ruined it? <laughs> no, it's it's kind of cool. I mean, we we do some of the same stuff that I did when I was a kid here. But, um, you know, it's hard for me to remember doing things out in public. It's been so long since I've been able to take my children in public. But we still, like, go to the same movie theater that me and my dad used to go to when I was a kid. So that's... You know something that I that that I share with them is like my dad used to bring me here, and now I get to bring you guys here. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yep, very cool. Now, one of the questions I ask in the email that I send ahead of time is: Think about your current job. Was your career a direct path? And this may be the greatest answer I've ever received here for at the mic. And the tank's response is: Radio is the direct path to poverty. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It is. That is awesome. It is. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you you know if you have any friends in the radio business, uh, you know that these aren't wealthy people. I mean, unless they can get on the level of like Glenn or somebody like that. And it, people, and people think that it's oh yeah. that you're making so much cash. Oh, you're in radio. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. You must be loaded. No. What? Not the way. I, you <laughs> no, know, because they've got us because we do it for the love. Of course. You know that if you have a, per, uh, a friend that's been in the business, like I've been in the business now for 18 years, uh, you do it because you love it. You don't do it for the paycheck. You do it because, you know, you you love the listeners. You want to be able to entertain people. You want to have that special part of the day. Um, one of the greatest compliments you could ever have is someone telling you that you make their days better. Uh, I, you know, a few years ago when I started my weekend sports show, I got a phone call from a woman who told me that, you know, her husband, Bob, 
listened to our show every Saturday. He got up, you know, to make sure that his his radio was tuned in at 3 p.m. on Saturdays to the sports tank because it brightened up his entire week. And it was really something important to him because he had stage four colon cancer. And he loved it. Like it was it was an appointment for him to be able to forget the pain that he's going through for two hours on a Saturday. And it's things like that that keep you coming back. You're absolutely right. I love when someone tells me, whether on Twitter or or some other means, that you make me laugh. And, mm-hmm. you know, thank you for being there every morning. It's amazing that you have such a, I don't want to say, because it sounds almost, as, I, as I'm saying this, it almost sounds like I'm giving myself credit here, and I'm not. But it, I will be honest and say it feels good when, when you feel that you have positively impacted somebody's life. And I do enjoy hearing that. Mm-hmm. And I think, wow, thank you, because it doesn't feel like it. The state of the world and having to talk about it every day, it, it just feels like you're always treading water Mm -hmm. to stay afloat uh, on this planet, but yet the fact that you do get that uh, positive reinforcement, yeah, absolutely. You're you're, you're so right. And then there's the negative reinforcement of, I can't stand listening to you, you irritate me so, and I can't stand hearing your voice every day. And it's that last line that I always hang on. Every day, really? You hate me so much, you listen to me every day? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Because that also fuels me. Okay, so you have a podcast. Why don't you just tell everybody about your podcast, you know, the name of it, where they can find it, because uh, I've checked it out, and but I want you to sell it. Yeah, we are uh, the Sports Tank with Jeremy Green. We, we actually have several different projects working right now. We've got, are you okay? Are you good? Yeah, say that again, because I dropped my uh, coffee mug on the, uh, on the, de- on the, you know what? No, I'm leaving this in. Oh, dear. I'm going to leave this in. Oh, yeah, I'm dear. leaving this in. Hopefully there's I'm, no I'm electronics not, around. Yeah, well, that's between me and the engineer. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> tell, tell us about your podcast, The Sports Tank. <laughs> uh, uh, the Sports Tank with Jeremy Green is the name of the show. My uh, partner, Jeremy Green, I found him in a uh, local bar a few years ago. Uh, when oh, good. <laughs> we were. So I had the Saturday show and my co-host at the time up and ditched me to move to California with his new girlfriend. Uh, and I found Uh-oh. Jeremy in a bar. And he's, Hold on. Yeah. No, no. We'll, we'll talk about Jeremy in a second. Uh, Let's talk about the guy. Tell me. Well, the, he left North Carolina for California. Yep. And now we're in this world of COVID. So um, how's he uh, liking that decision? Uh, not too well. Uh, it didn't. That, okay, that decision so, didn't go well for him. Uh, he was. So, he was. Uh, is he still with a girl? Nope. No, that didn't. Okay, shocker, well, I mean, shocker. So that didn't too. work out. Got into the party scene, and yeah, he's laying carpet now up in uh, up, up in the up in the far mountains mm. of North Carolina. Mm. So, yeah. Well, anyway, so he came back. So he came back. Yeah, he he had to. Uh, eventually, the money ran out. Uh, he didn't become an actor like he really wanted to. It's uh, one of those sad, failed stories of if you'd have just hung in, you might have had a future in this business. Uh, but he mm. wanted too much too fast, and so, it's a horrible burnout story. Um, okay, so the sports take with Jeremy Green, uh, where can people find that? Uh, we are found everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, we are on ESPN Asheville here in uh, 
in Asheville, shockingly enough. Uh, <laughs> we're on the iHeartRadio app. We also have, I mean, you can find us on uh, iTunes and Stitcher, and we're, we're cool. all over the place. Anywhere that you can get your podcast, you can find The Sports Tank with Jeremy Green. We also have uh, The Sportsocracy, which is a new web show that we debuted about six months ago. The things with that have been going well, but we put that out as a podcast as well. So mm. The Sportsocracy, just like, you know, democracy, but with sports on the front of it. The idea was, you know, let's let's do this. And since there's so much crossover between sports and politics, let's have a show mm-hmm. that, you know, marries the two. And then, you know, further we got into 2020, we went, we don't really want to do this politics thing anymore. Because it just, right. you know, as as you know, things have uh, digressed to a point where we should really have some separation between these two. Uh, but we, we <laughs> consider ourselves to be uh, the Democratic Republic of Sports. Anything you want talked about, we'll talk about on the on the program as well. So we've got the Sportsocracy uh, show going on. We've got the Sports Tank with Jeremy Green. And every day we do three hours of, of quality entertainment. So here's something that you and I have never addressed, and we'll just do it here in front of the audience. Sure. Um, you grew up in Asheville. You love sports. I mean, you're you're very knowledgeable. I love sitting around talking sports with you. Mm-hmm. But something about you has bugged me for 17 years now, and it's the fact that you grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, in the heart of Braves country, but somehow you became a Boston Red Sox fan. How did that happen, right. sir? Uh, well, my my dad's to blame for that. When he was a, when he was a kid, uh, Carl Yastrzemski was the big thing. And when he was in like the third grade, he was supposed to do a book report and he went to the library and got a book about Carl Yastrzemski because he was, you know, the big thing. Like, I think he had just gone through the the Triple Crown season. And so he Uh read this book on Carl Yastrzemski and did did his little report. And he's been a Red Sox fan ever since. And so when I was born, I was, you know, just born into it, as they say. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let it slide. Like this. <laughs> so when you're not watching sports or talking sports, what are some things you like to do, man? Um, I don't really have much else. Uh, this is this is what I cling to in in life. Uh, <laughs> these, these these are my moments, you know. It's uh, it's dad yeah. hat, sports hat, um, you know, yeah. housekeeper hat, and and then and then sleep. And fantasy football. And fantasy I mean, football, yeah, but that's you I mean, and that I, gets lumped into the sports thing. Okay, that's true. Because okay, well, when, you, when, you, when you work in sports broadcasting and every day is about what's going on in the sports world, it no longer becomes <laughs> a hobby. You know, now you're studying all the time. So even when you're playing fantasy football, you're analyzing and you're looking at figures and you're like, yeah. okay, I need to use this for the show. That's true. That's very true. And I will just say that – it is a requirement that you and I pull off at least one trade every year. Yes, I must. In fantasy football. It, it, it was in the constitution of the FedEx Football League is that when I joined, they did, you know, like the, the 10th Amendment that says Tank must get fleeced by Keith at least once a year. Well, first of all, that's not true. There's so many times that people think that I fleeced them and everybody, the consensus is Keith just fleeced you in a trade. Yeah, give it about six, eight weeks. Give it a couple of months. You'll, you'll see. Yeah, it'll all turn I'm the one around. that ends up getting, yeah, I get fleeced because I'm a dummy who can't stop trying trading and thankfully you're in my league because most people in the league just ignore my texts I'm just, and emails I, i'm you know, i'm, I'm bad trades. at fantasy football trades 
I, I really am. I can never really mm. tell. You know, when is the time to to sell a guy? When's the time to buy yeah. a guy? And I always seem to be on the backside of that. Like, oh, I can get mm. AJ Green. Great. Now he sucks. Now, yeah, I, you know, I, that, now I did fleece you. I did. You're right. I fleeced right. you with that one. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who had you, you know seven thousand uh, yard seasons to begin his career. I pick him up in fantasy football, and now he's worthless. Hang on a second. I've got to. Uh, it's it's become mission critical on this end tank where I am yeah. now having to uh, You're good. use some paper towels for the uh, <laughs> for the problem uh, on my on my desk here. So um, yeah, okay. Well, while I've got you in, in front of everybody, um, trade me Travis Kelsey. Uh, I can't. You want to do that? I really can't do that. What do you mean? <laughs> I got I got like David Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm good on that actually. Um good. but right, you know, I thought, I thought I'd give it a shot. Gotta, <laughs> <laughs> the one tight right. end that I The one guy on your on. team. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, I understand. All right, so one of the questions I do ask is, you know, what's the last song you played on repeat and it was uh, a song by Post Malone and and Ozzy Osbourne. And I, I got to be honest with you. I didn't know Ozzy was still making music. Is he this is. how old is this song? It's only a year, maybe no, not yeah. even that. I think it came out earlier this year. Um, Boy, shows what I know. Yeah, Ozzy, Ozzy put out an album this year, and dude is still doing it. He still got it. Wow. Okay. Do, do you and Andy enjoy the same kind of music? We do. We we mm-hmm. all we both enjoy a lot of you know, and I guess I should say an eclectic variety of music. We can, you know, we can get down with rap music, and mm. we also like country music. Uh, we can, oh, wow. we so can enjoy spectrum. blues music together. Uh, and then she kind of she jumps off the train at heavy metal. I can't get her into heavy metal. <laughs> I've really tried, and she's just not having any of it. So I do want to talk, you know, Post Malone. I don't think I've ever heard anything by him. Really? I just know him from the beer commercials from the Super Bowl. That's literally okay. all I know him from. Yeah, yeah, the Doritos commercials. Out? Oh, Doritos, Doritos. Yeah. I thought it was beer. Yeah, so. I think he did Doritos. I think he had a Mountain Dew commercial as well. Okay. Um, I just remember Taste Buds or something inside of him. Or right. I, I don't even know. But what kind of music is that? I've seen his name everywhere, but I've never taken... And as soon as I'm done recording this podcast, I'm going to go and listen to him. But as of this moment... I just, I, I'm just sorry. I don't know. Yeah, it's what he it, sounds it's like hip hop, rap. It's it's like the, okay. it's like the one. You know, I can't stomach a lot of the newer hip hop and rap music, mm-hmm. just because I loved hip hop music when tag team was the thing, and it was you know, <laughs> there it is was the big. It was yeah. all about you know going out to the party and being happy and being with your friends, and at some point it all became too sexual for me uh, on some of these songs. Your favorite book of all time is Stephen King's The Stand. I will say it was a heck of a miniseries. I remember that. That was appointment watching. I believe I was a senior in high school at the time. Mm -hmm. Is any movie or any miniseries better than the book? I will never know because I just don't read those kind of books. But have you seen both and can you compare them? Um, I will say most movies are better than the books, in my opinion. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Unpopular opinion. Well, I mean, just because... Look, I'm not a huge reader. I have read probably a total of 25 books in my life just okay. because I, I, I can't do it. Like, I'll read a few chapters, and if it can catch my attention, then I'll finish the book. If not, 
I'll watch the movie. Honestly, uh, The Stand is one of the few books that I ever was like, oh, you know, voracious about reading the book. Like, I can't wait to get back to the next chapter to find out what's going to happen. Uh, And I had read it shortly after the miniseries came out originally uh, that you were talking about. The new one. My wife and I are just watching that. And how, is, how does it it's compare? It's pretty good. It's, I think it's pretty okay. good. I mean, it's got some differences. It's been a long time since I read the book. I'm, I'm thinking that this one sticks more to the book than the, the original miniseries did. Hmm. Uh, the original, uh, you know, I could, because I was in love with that original miniseries. I had it on VHS tape, and I wore that thing out. I had probably yeah. seen that original miniseries. That and It. Those are the two original miniseries yep. on TV that I couldn't get enough of. And so I would yep. watch them over and over and over again. So, like, with the new It, I'm like, oh, I remember that. You know, or this is different from the movie or the, or the, the original movie or this is different from, than the book because, I, you know, that's one of the ones I read, too. That was appointment TV, man. That, yeah. that was not days of streaming and watch it when you can. It was everybody is watching this at the same time you are and it was an experience because the next day everybody's talking talk about, about it. it right now okay. now nobody talks about tv anymore because the only thing that we all can share is the uh oh i don't know the, the gross social media world that we live in yeah. the only thing that we've yeah. all seen at the same time is donald trump's tweets <laughs> <laughs> okay so you and i need to have a serious discussion okay, okay? because you mentioned your nickname tank mm-hmm. okay you are the biggest kid on the football field. You're still the biggest guy in the room, and you've earned that nickname. So when you think of Tank and you think of sports and you think of this question that I asked, if you could only keep five possessions, what would they be? I can understand the TV and the PS4, the grill, and the smartphone. Mm-hmm. The fifth one here really threw me for a curve. It's... um. You know, you, do you remember your uh, fifth uh, I possession? I don't you would remember keep? what this was. It's a, <laughs> it's a yoga mat. Who who oh, filled yeah. this out for you? Oh yeah, I gotta have my yoga mat. Um, what are you? Stop. Well, look when Stop. you're when you're a big fat lazy guy, um, your your body doesn't really like that when you're getting older. <laughs> Uh, and about yeah. three years ago, I got into some oh. really bad back problems. And so this isn't a joke answer that no, you're throwing at me. No. Oh, wow. This is okay. pure and serious. I have to have my so yoga got- every day or else I am like All a right. twisted, mangled mess. Uh, so it's part of your routine every day? Yeah. Get up in the morning, do my 15 minutes of stretching and yoga and, you know, get the and day that started. that your back. Yeah. Yeah. So what was going on with your back, and, and how did you get led to the world of yoga mats where those were involved? When I started consulting with back surgeons, uh, mm. someone said, hey, have you before you go under the knife, uh, because my mom mm-hmm. has had you know the chronic back problems her entire life, or well, her entire adult life, and she sat me down one day and we got to really talking about it, you know, what it feels like to live with chronic back pain. And how to fix it. And she wisely looked at me in the face and said, just so you know, once you start having back surgeries, now you're having back surgeries. Like you're not going to have one and it's going to fix it and you're going to be done. Once you have one, then you're going to start having them. She's had four. 
And I didn't really want to go down that path. And somebody said, hey, have you ever tried yoga? That'll help you with, you know, keeping your keeping your, you know, loosening up your muscles enough to keep your spine straight, because your problem right now is your muscles are so tight that you're kind of hunched over all the time and it's, you know, putting pressure on your spine. And if you loosen that up, you may be able to at least put off surgery for a while. So I started doing yoga because I was going and getting those uh, what are the the cortisol steroid injections in my back just to kind of relieve the pain, and I would have one and feel good for about a month, and then I you know suffer through the next three months and go have another one because you you know you can't have them back to back to back to back you know you got to spread them out a little bit, and so. Yeah, go get another one, and that one lasted for about three weeks, and then it went right back to being in pain. And then I'd go back and get another one, and that one lasted for about a week. And they finally got to the point where they're like, "We're gonna, you need to go consult with a surgeon." And I remembered that conversation that I had with my mom, and then I remembered somebody said, "Try the yoga." So I started trying yoga, and just working on it ten minutes a day beginner level i found a video on youtube that was just yoga for beginners and it was a 10 minute Mm. morning routine and i started doing that and i started feeling a little better and then after i was doing it for a while no more back pain and it just went away and so i haven't had to had a a steroid injection i haven't been you know taking pain pills and stuff which you know you don't even want to mess with that right as everybody i hope this conversation it touches some people that, that maybe are suffering through back pain mm-hmm. and haven't even considered yoga. Give it a shot. I, I tell yeah. everybody that now. If somebody complains to me that their back hurts, I'm like, hey, have you ever tried mm-hmm. yoga? I mean, I'm not going to be annoying about it, but yeah. I will say that's what helped me. It saved me from going under ever, the knife, and I'm hoping that I never have to now. Do they ever think you're joking like me? Oh, yeah. I mean, people okay. look at a. I just want to make sure you can't look at a a, a barely six foot tall, two hundred and eighty pound man and go, "Yeah, you look like you do yoga." <laughs> I mean, that's where I was at five minutes ago. Right. Hey, so you being in radio, you've run into multiple celebrities along the way. Who was the coolest one that you met? Ooh. Coolest celebrity I ever met. This is where or, I, or your best experience. This is where I say experience. Glenn Beck, right? This is- <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Glenn Beck, uh, the, the best celebrity you've ever met. Uh, he's up there. I really dug Glenn. Mm-hmm. There, you know, I I worked in Memphis. Did he talk? Wait, did he talk crap about me? He did not. Okay. He did not. He, in fact, when I brought your name up in the conversation, because it's the only common <laughs> thing I had with Glenn Beck at the time, was that, hey, I knew oh, you. No. You worked for Pat. Pat worked with Glenn. And so I knew he knew you. Uh, but this was 2005. This was, you know, like same year that I met my wife. I was working in Memphis at WREC. And he came through and did his stage show at the Orpheum. And that day he did the show from our studio because we were the affiliate in Memphis. And he shows up as I'm doing the morning show. I'm running the board in the in the in the studio, and this guy comes walking in. Like I, I saw no one but him to begin with, and he comes huh. into the studio and introduces himself to me. And I'm like, I know who you are. Um, <laughs> I've seen your face before. I've heard your name a few times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he was a really cool guy. I just wanted to spark up conversation, and and I in fact. 
at one point, I think I looked at him and said, hold on just a minute. Let me close out the show here, and then I'll get back with you. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Nice. I'm in the middle of a commercial break, Glenn. Can you hold on just a second? Um, <laughs> but, I mean, meeting Glenn was awesome. He's he's a great guy and, uh, and a guy who just talks to you like you're, yeah. you know, like he's a guy from next door. And I didn't expect that. You see national radio show hosts, and when they treat you like they're an actual person, not that you're an actual person, uh, you know, it surprises me that there was no air about him at that time. Yeah, I know I've told this story before where on Fridays back in New York, he would do the show from his home in Connecticut, and I would go up there and hook up the technical stuff. And my 95-year-old grandmother loves to tell her Sunday school class that um, Glenn Beck makes my grandson oatmeal once a week because that's what he would do i'd show up at his house and he would go to the kitchen and make oatmeal for yeah. me yeah so you're absolutely right he He's brought a, a great guy he so brought whatever. a box of donuts like he like okay you're my best friend now i mean when, you know you know how it works in radio when somebody shows up with free food you're automatically like yep that guy's getting all my attention today uh-huh. Because that's part that's of it. Funny. You know, you're in radio because not only do you love the business, but you're also in it for the free stuff. Uh, if you get free food, yeah. free concert tickets, whatever, sporting events, we're in. And when Glenn Beck showed up at my uh, <laughs> studio door with a box full of donuts, I went, we're going to be friends. That's that's the way to tank's heart. Exactly. Yeah. As far as celebrities go, though, other than Glenn Beck, um, I, you know, I did a I did a stint with the Atlanta Braves radio network down in Atlanta. Oh, wow. And I had I had a lot of fun getting to know all of those guys on the broadcast. You're going to ruin somebody. Uh, You're not going to ruin no, somebody no, no, for no, me no. with the Braves. Uh, because at the time that was uh, Skip Carey and uh, and Chip Carey and Joe Simpson and Don Sutton. And it's mm-hmm. yep. all those Joe. Those guys are great. But yeah. meeting, get it, being able to meet Skip Carey was probably one of the coolest highlights of my life because oh, he is an yes. iconic broadcaster that everyone <laughs> loved. And yep. so, I mean, being able to talk to him every day, even though I was, you know, I was the technical producer, so I was in the studio while they were at the ballpark, but we would still talk via, you know, via intercom back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the greatest moments of my life was Skip hated, hated the Bluebell ice cream commercials. <laughs> Could not stand them. The jingle, I think, to him was the most painful thing on the planet. <laughs> and I That's will, awesome. Yeah, and I will never forget when, that's, when one day that commercial started up and Skip Carey started singing the Bluebell commercial. Word for word. And Chip joined in, and Joe joined in, (laughs) and I joined in. And we just, Uh for 60 seconds, all of our souls connected, and we were all (laughs) making fun of the Bluebell ice cream commercial, doing our best horrible karaoke version of it, all together during Uh a Braves baseball game. It's one of the greatest memories I'll ever have. That's great. I mean, Skip Carey is... I don't know how to put this. The living embodiment of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, I love the Braves. I wanted to be a baseball announcer. And I don't know if you know this about me. I can be a little sarcastic at times. And that's Skip Carey. Yeah. Right there. Those three things. And I absolutely loved listening to him growing up. 
and that that's a really cool. You don't have a recording, an audio recording of that. Uh, of I that don't. Bluebell, uh, when it was dang. over, it went. I went. Oh, I would have loved to have that on tape. No kidding. But I didn't. No you kidding. know, it, now, it just didn't work that way. But yeah, Skip was awesome. I mean, he he could do baseball. He knew it inside and out like nobody's business. And he yep. he hated not only the uh, the Bluebell commercials, uh, but he also hated uh, when they played. Dale in the stadium. Oh, the banana boat song. Every time he'd go, why are they playing this? I (laughs) don't get it. Of all, and he would make little snide, like he would rave about it during a commercial break. But then when he slipped in little snide comments about it (laughs) while he was on the air, those were the nuggets that we all just loved. Like, we know Uh what, we know what that's about. (laughs) That's cool to have that kind of inside track to what it was behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of fun working with the uh, with the Braves Network that year and, uh, you know, getting dinner advice from John Smoltz. Like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) you don't get that. Like he's sitting on the pregame show and I'm thinking, hey, we got an off day next or or coming up tomorrow. It's our first off day of the season. I want to take my wife out for dinner. Where should I go? I'm talking to Chip and. Chip's like, I don't know what you should do. And then all of a sudden, this voice comes in. Off the, hey, Tank, I'll tell you what you could do. And I was like, is this John Smoltz? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. You got to take, you take your wife down to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. It'll be the best steak you've ever had in your life. <laughs> it's like, okay. All right. Let's, let's do that. Uh, a little did cool. I know that going to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse is, uh, you know, for a radio producer. I was about to say, well, you know, I mean, you got a that's a Hall of Famer, yeah. Next, giving you advice, right? That was Smoltzy's yeah. thing, though. Like Smoltzy loved Drew's Chris, and whenever they would come back from spring training, he would take the entire team to Drew's Chris. That was like his little get to know you dinner. He'd take all the rookies and everybody that go to Drew's Chris, and John would just pick up the tab because John can do that. <laughs> However, twenty, what was I at that time? Twenty. Three twenty-four years old radio producer, just new in town. Didn't never heard of a roast, Chris. Didn't even know what it was. Said steak, and I'm in. Yeah, I got there, and the steaks are like fifty dollars. Although they did when they bring it out, it's like a catcher's mitt on the on the plate. Mm. It's the greatest steak I've ever had in my life. Best best steak you'll ever eat. But you better be prepared to pay well, up for that thing. Was it sizzling like they say? Oh yeah. You can hold your napkin up in front of your shirt so it doesn't splatter up on and get oh. grease all over you. Yeah, that's, uh-huh. it's quite the experience. You've never eaten Very a roost, cool. Chris? I have not. Oh, well, I, I suggest you do that. I. You're 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 in the big time now. You're in the big time now. You oh. need to. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you could go back in time and meet any person in history, you've got Teddy Roosevelt down. Why is that? I think Teddy Roosevelt was probably one of the greatest leaders that we've ever had. I mean, any guy that can continue a uh, political speech after being shot. I mean, that is a fair point. You got my respect, dude. And <laughs> I, I don't know. Some, I just feel like I'd have been down with the whole war hero, bull moose party thing. Mm. Okay. Very good. He's resilient. That's what I love about him. And he's the reason we got Woodrow Wilson, but I digress. Well, okay, true. so let, let's see here. <laughs> um, you can throw a baseball with your feet? I can. 
I can. I are have you some... right-footed, or is it both of them? Uh, it's it's mainly the right. It's that's my dominant <laughs> foot. How do, you, how do you grip a baseball with with a foot? I have very strange feet. Uh, they're <laughs> almost like eight feet. I almost have opposable toes. Like my there is a gap so large in between my uh, big toe and the next one that I can grab many things with those feet. And one day I wow. was challenged. Uh, I bet you could throw a baseball with that foot. And I went, you know what? Challenge accepted. I'm going to figure this out. And, <laughs> and sure enough, uh, after some practice, I am able to uh, dent drywall with uh, the force of throwing a baseball with my feet. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you actually have have tangible proof of your abilities. <laughs> right. You dented drywall with a baseball. Yeah, I did that once. It's oh. not something that I whip out too much, but, you know, I, I figured that's a secret that I will pass on to my children when they become of age. So was alcohol involved? No, this was pure oh. boredom. Okay. I just, I, I had to ask. I just wanted to be totally clear on the origins of that story. <laughs> and so, so you enjoy going to concerts? I do. I love concerts, and, and I miss them dearly. What's your, yeah. What's your favorite concert that you've ever been to? I think it's the Eagles. I've seen the Eagles twice, and I believe that's the best show I've ever seen. Just the fact that these guys can still do it at that age. I mm -hmm. mean, I didn't see them until... 2010 and saw him again in like 2015 and just thinking this still sounds like the record that's like cool. you don't have artists cool. like that anymore i find more and more that the you know when i go out and see these younger acts they don't sound anything like the record really great bands sound just as good live if not better live than they do on their albums mm. or their downloads as the kids call them <laughs> I guess, yeah. I guess talking about records and CDs and albums, like nobody does that anymore. Hey, find our download Seriously. today. No, I want the I want the tangible copy with the liner notes and everything to read in my hands. It's okay. Just You're because still younger than me, right? Just because it's not, just because it's outdated technology now, doesn't mean it didn't have its place in the world back in the day. Right, right. And I miss that the CDs. It's all streamable. Somebody somewhere could snap their fingers like Thanos mm -hmm. and all of your music is gone. All of your movies, everything you've downloaded, poof, if they if they so desire in that. Yep. I don't know. I don't want to get derailed here on the future of this country, but uh, <laughs> it's it's very, um, very precipitous. It's concerning. OK, so our program director in Charleston was the genius Richard Bachschmidt, mm -hmm. Box. Mm -hmm. We lost him too soon. Um, such a great guy. He was such um, such an awesome personality to be associated with. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, because he was so into music, and I wonder, did you guys ever get to go to a concert together? We did not. That's the one thing that I wished we had done. Like, we had always talked about it, but there never was, because you want to talk about metalheads. I mean, Box was right. just, he well, was totally into right. everything. It, more, worse stuff than I could ever imagine. Like <laughs> Worse know, stuff. He loved like this. Slipknot and Slayer and Lamb of God and it, it, just all of these bands that I'm going, 
oh, that's scary. (laughs) He had quite the collection of music. He did. And he was a good good guitar player. (laughs) He was. Yes. He was very talented. Um, You know, I still had him and some of his friends cut an album that was just... it's ridiculous music. It's <laughs> all of the songs are weird. Like one of them's called <laughs> "I Love Being a Redneck" and it's about peeing off your back porch. Like it was just <laughs> stupid stuff. But it's one of those CDs yeah. that I still break out every now and then and go, "Man, I miss that guy," because he was he was yeah. just such a joy to be around. Um, and yep. and he was a believer in people. Like he was a guy that when you're getting down about whatever your situation is or you know you're a young guy struggling in the radio business trying to find your way trying to figure out what the next step is he was going to do everything he could to make sure that you had all the information you needed to jump into another job uh, all the skills that were going to be required for you to do something else you know he really helped me have the confidence to chase after other jobs and not just be satisfied with where i was that he always told me, you know, there's there's more in you. I know there's more in you. You're more than just a button pusher. One day you can be a sports talk host. That's your dream, and I think you can do it, and I'm going to support you every moment of the way. And, you know, up until his death, he was one of the guys that I leaned on for advice. I would call him every now and then and say, hey, uh, you know, things are things are stagnating for me and things don't look like they're going that well and you know i'm wondering if it's time to hang it up and he was always the one to say dude you're awesome you know the world may not have figured it out yet but you're gonna you know this is your dream you love it don't give up on it it'll happen for you and you know the last time i saw him was probably two months before his passing and he seemed so positive about the future you know it was it really yeah. it really kind of struck me when when we got the devastating news that he was gone but i, yeah. I mean i also want to throw this out there for people i, I mean it, you have friends that might seem okay but sometimes mm-hmm. they're not okay and the best thing you can do is be there for them and be encouraging as much as you can and always cherish those friendships because you don't know how long they're going to last that was one that I thought we were going to have for a long, long time. Tank, we don't all know the demons that people are struggling with. You're so right. And I want to say some things as well, but you have just nailed it with everything you said about Box and who he was mm-hmm. and the influence that he had on others. He was a light and didn't realize it. And people were drawn to him and he didn't realize it. And... I will go one step further and I will say that if if you're struggling or you know somebody struggling with thoughts of hurting themselves, if suicide ever crosses their lips or your thoughts, um, I just Googled this and I'm going to just throw this out there. Uh, 1-800-273-8255, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. The world lost a just an awesome person, mm-hmm. Richard Bachschmidt. And a guy who, if that is possible for him to listen to this, is right now going, shut up, guys. Because <laughs> this is who he was, you know? 
He, yeah. he was just, yeah. he was such a jokester <laughs> about everything. He'd be like, ah, whatever. Move on. Yep. And yep. but yeah, go know. back to laughing, guys. Yeah, exactly. I enjoyed this podcast until you brought it down. <laughs> Gee, what a buzzkill. Okay. Uh, what is uh, what is something that people don't know about you? And I will say, you you stumped me again. I, I thought the yoga mat. I thought that was a, a fun fact about Tank, but you actually wanted to be a poet. And I can say with all honesty that you are published. Yes, uh, I am. Thanks to the uh, the scam of poetry dot com. <laughs> my my mom has like a book uh-huh. that that she ordered that maybe this is similar to you um and it's got a whole bunch of collection of poems and i see this poem that i wrote about a hunter and his dog and i read it and i think this is the dumbest this is so bad yeah i would be embarrassed for whoever wrote oh it was me and yet, like you said, it's the scam so that you can say, yeah, I'm a published author. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. Yep. So so how did they get you guys? I think it was a thing through the school. Like our English teacher had heard about it and we were studying. I, I hated English class. I really did. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't pay attention long enough to hang in with a book like I've told you on already. Like I get into it a couple of chapters and I can't do it now uh, mm-hmm. for a guy who probably suffers from ADHD and, uh, you know, dyslexia as well. I've never been diagnosed with those things, but I think I have some of them. Um, Poetry was one of those things that I could hang with. I could sit through a sonnet or, uh, you know, haikus. Those are easy. I got got Mm -hmm. three lines. That's it. That's all I got to read. Uh, but that was like, you know, free writing exercises in class. I was all I, I, was, I went through a period where I was always writing poetry and she liked my stuff and she sent it off to the poetry dot com people and gave me a letter that said, hey, you've been selected for the next edition of whatever uh, buy your book today. And, you you know, you forked over like <laughs> you, you forked over like 80 bucks for this coffee table book that would have your poem in it. And yes. so I did. Yes. So I submitted like five or six poems to this poetry dot com thinking this is cool. Like I, I can I can just sit and write these things and be a published author. <laughs> and I'm 16 years old. This is great. Little did I know like, there, about the scam of yeah. poetry dot com. If you don't know yeah. that history, oh. I suggest you Google it. It's it's quite a little tale. Oh, okay. I need to look into this. Yeah, it got exposed um, year like in the early two thousands. It got exposed for the scam that it was, and I went, oh, so you're trying to tell me I'm not special? Okay. Well then, that had to hurt. <laughs> so, uh, do you have favorite poets, or is that just? No. I mean, no, just something really. you do. I really just like okay. writing my own. So do you still write poems? I don't. I haven't in years. Okay. Like, I think I wrote one for my wife on her our anniversary one year, but it's not uh-huh. something that I keep up. Do you remember any lines from it? I don't. I, no. I, a lot of it, like, I still have the notebook. The first notebook that I started writing poetry in. Um and I looked at it about two years ago, and I went, that's not good. 
Because it's like, I mean, it's like a 16 year old kid trying to be all, right. you know, I'm, you know, trying to be Cyrano de Bergerac or something. Is <laughs> Did you burn it? Did you burn the notebook? No, I kept it. Of course I kept it. Because, I mean, it's still a part of me. It's still something that I did, you know, and. Uh huh. I don't know. No, I find I find old stuff of mine that I wrote, and uh, I I look for the nearest garbage can, and I uh, try to light it on fire. Just as make I'm sure that no one ever sees this again. Right. This cannot see the light of day ever right. again. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it wasn't bad poetry for a sixteen, seventeen year old kid, but mm-hmm. you looking back on it now after you know after you have been exposed to other people's works, you go, yeah, it wasn't that good. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in a movie. I was. I was in the movie Heavyweights. It was a Disney movie. Lots of people, you know, you might be familiar uh, with the Ben Stiller movie where he played Tony Perkis Sr. The, uh, or <laughs> uh, the, you went to fat camp and he tried to turn it into an infomercial. And I was lucky enough to be one of the fat kids in the fat camp. So you had lines and stuff? Uh, I did. I had one line. They added it later. I just got on as an extra. Uh, it was filmed at Camp Pinnacle, which is in uh, Flat Rock, North Carolina, just south of Asheville. And they put an ad in the paper and said, hey, there's going to be a movie, open, open casting call. If you're interested, come on by the Asheville Mall. And so we go by the Asheville Mall, filled out the paperwork, um, and they gave us a call back and said – hey, we'd like for you to come to round two of the casting call. We went to round two, and they took pictures and everything. And then then we got a phone call back, and they said, you have been chosen as one of the core extras, which is one of the other kids that doesn't have lines that you see all the time in the film. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was in the sixth grade. The thought of being in a Disney movie was just too good to pass up. Uh, and it was it was one of the greatest experience of, experiences of my life, um, being on the set with Ben Stiller and having, you know, coaching tip acting tips from Ben Stiller while you're on set. Like, it's a pretty cool thing to have. Um, you know, I met a lot of cool people on that project. Uh, you know, Judd Apatow was just great. I mean, I, I had no idea he was going to turn into the king of comedy in Hollywood. But, you know, it was, it was cool to get to know those guys before they became stars. That's really cool. The movie is Heavyweights. Like you said, it's got uh, Ben Stiller mm-hmm. in it. And I've never seen that. I remember when it came out, but I didn't actually watch it. So if I go sit down and watch that, uh, I'm sure it's on Disney+. Plus. I will see oh, yeah. my buddy Tank Spencer uh, saying something. You will. Nice. All over the place. Um the first scene when they land at the airport and the kids are waiting on the bus for the uh, for the camp, there's a scene where, you know, star kid and star adult have this moment where they're looking at each other and the guy's like, are you ready for the best dang summer of your life? And just in that shot, we were all supposed to stand in a straight line. And I said, nope. And I moved right into the camera view. <laughs> so it's like you can see star adult and star kid. And then all of a sudden, this little fat kid just steps in between. Uh-huh, them I got to see this. Can... And ruins the line of the shot. But I had to get my face on the camera somehow. So you can, I mean, I look exactly the same. Uh... <laughs> I bet. Yeah. 
No, I, I had I had lots of spots in that movie where you can, All right. you know, if you if you look intently enough, you'll go, oh, yeah, there he is. Nice. Um, there he is. Yeah, I, I was in the Tank. I was in the credits as soccer goalie because when they do their little <laughs> uh, there's there's a part in the in the thing where the fat kid camp matches up against the athletes camp from across the river and they have the apache relay and there's you know all these sports things and all the and the, obviously the idea is all the fat kids are bad at sports and all the skinny kids are really good at sports and so there's a soccer don't scene. ruin the movie for me man no spoiler alert there's a <laughs> this, i don't want this was I 1994 this movie. uh you you have given away any rights to being protected from spoilers <laughs> Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but there's there's a scene, a soccer scene in there where I played the soccer goalie, and it's just a scene of me standing in the soccer goal with a coonskin cap on while the ball <laughs> whizzes by my head. All right. And that's like listen, my star listen. moment of the movie. Which, that's your moment. Which that's really moment. ticked me off because we did about, oh, I don't know, 700 takes of that, and it went from everywhere of me just standing there with them throwing the ball next to me to me getting hit in the face, me getting hit in the crotch, me flying back into the net. I mean, we did all of these different cuts, and the one they used is the one where I didn't do anything. Oh, like, thanks, guys. Boo. Appreciate you. Okay, so here's here's an idea for you. Maybe for a Twitter banner, maybe you you split it into into two parts, and there's an image of you as soccer goalie, and then and then the other side of your Twitter banner is soccer goalie Tink Spencer running through the credits. What do you think? Oh, there you go. There you go. You use right, my so, legal name I, though, and I'm not really happy about that. Oh no! By the way, uh, uh, real quick. A fun fact about Ben Stiller is that he has a cameo, one of my favorite bands, Travis. There's a video of theirs called Closer, and he has a cameo in that. So if you get a chance, go to YouTube, look for Travis Closer. It's a great video as it is, but wait for Ben Stiller's uh, fun cameo appearance in that. Okay. (laughs) You sure you want me to ask you about your most embarrassing moment that you... uh, (laughs) wrote up in this email <laughs> uh yeah i, I mean, mean sure. I, I'll, I'll share with the audience i didn't uh, okay I didn't so tell us about when you were 23 years old yeah. and you had a bathroom accident i did i did this was uh this, i was working in memphis at the time i was working the morning show okay so it was like four o'clock in the morning i'm not really awake yet and i just gotten to work and I had to go to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom and I sit to do my business. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> guys, we have this problem sometimes. You're not really paying attention to what's going on. And you you overshoot uh, as you're sitting <laughs> in a seated position. And I didn't think anything about it. And I get up and I pull my pants up and the entire seat of my pants is soaking wet. I had missed the toilet completely. Uh, (laughs) and I have no choice because, uh, we're going on the air in, uh, 30 minutes and I live a half an hour away. So yeah, I had to sit in my pee pants all day. I didn't do much sitting actually. I didn't want to ruin my studio chair. That was the most embarrassing thing. And, and, you know, the thing of just trying to walk, exchanging notes with the host before we start and like trying to keep your back against the wall so nobody notices. (laughs) Bro. Yeah, it was one of the worst, most embarrassing things that's ever happened to me before. And I don't know that anyone found out about it that day. It's just a story that I tell people because this is how stupid I am. Did you? Did, I bet you keep a change of clothes at work now. Yep. 
Yep, always got an emergency <laughs> pair, just just in case that ever oh happens. Oh, my. That is, oh, Tank. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that wasn't in Charleston, man, because no. then I'd be like, man, it smells like pee in here. <laughs> and you would have been like, nope, I don't. That, I don't smell it. Yeah, that was the thing I was so afraid of all day. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Air freshener so, covers uh, up I, a lot. You just. Wow. Okay, noted. Um, what is something you want to accomplish in your lifetime? Take Spencer writes, win the lottery. All right, I got it. Yeah. We all want to win the lottery. Of course. And, and his follow-up, his follow-up was, uh, you know, I asked, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? And it was rig the lottery. Yep. So, I mean, it comes full circle there. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, if you could tell me I can get away with rigging the lottery, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that dream come true. <laughs> I know money doesn't solve all your problems, but let's be honest. Oh. We've all been poor. It helps. Right? It makes it. It makes your problems much more manageable. There you go. Honest response to that question is, I want to be able to entertain people uh, for a long, long time. And if I can raise decent children who don't expect the world to be handed to them, I will consider my life a success. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Okay. So you've got the Sportsocracy. That's a web stream that you do weekdays. From what? Uh, yeah, weekday morning. 9 to 10 Eastern? Yep. Yep. Weekday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern uh, on Facebook and YouTube Live. And you can okay, follow, us, follow us at the Sportsocracy on all of the social medias. Okay. So that's what I was going to ask you. You got uh, the Sportsocracy on Facebook, mm-hmm. YouTube, um, Twitter. Yeah. We are on Twitter as well. Yes. Okay. And then if they want to follow you on Twitter, your Sports Tank. ESPN yeah. Sports Tank ESPN. Yep, at Sports Tank ESPN, and you can uh, you can find the Sports Tank with Jeremy Green on the iHeartRadio app, and we're uh, live on ESPN Asheville weekday afternoons at three. Very good. Anything that I have uh, failed to bring up, you'd like to address? I don't believe so. I mean, this is typically the part yeah. in the in the interview where everybody says, "I just want to wish everybody um, world peace and yeah. let's be nicer to each other." Yeah, you're not currently sitting in pee pants, are you? No, no, thankfully not. Uh, however, this okay. interview has gone on longer than I anticipated, and uh, right. the bladder is calling. <laughs> Have a good one. Thanks for making time. Tank Spencer on at the mic. Thank you, brother. Tank and his pee pants could be worse, I suppose. Anyhow, thank you so much for making time to join us for another conversation here on At The Mic. I'm always grateful when you can stop in. And when you have time, please be sure to check out the web. It's at themikeshow.com, where you can find archives as we close in on our one-year anniversary. It's been more than 40 shows. Uh, it's hard to believe. Time flies. Anyhow, please feel free to reach out and go through at themikeshow.com with any questions or suggestions that you may have. I hope to see you over there. Next time, we're going to sit down with Fox News meteorologist Janice Dean. Looking forward to that conversation. We'll bring it to you next time here on At The Mic. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Look for At The Mic Show on Twitter to connect. 